Virtual Manager presents the How Did We Get Here podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the How Did We Get Here podcast. Last episode, Virtual Manager Chairman Anil Patel, COO Neil Fillingham, CEO Tony Morocco and I were in conversation with the former England cricketer turned journalist Monty Panasar. Now, Monty is one of the most recognisable players and characters from the last 20 years, and after his retirement, he turned to journalism, completing a degree course and subsequently setting up Monty Channel on social media and podcast called Monty Meets, also writing for the Daily Telegraph. In this, part two of our interview, he discusses other topics, including that innings versus Australia, expanding his personal horizons, dealing with racism, and how he overcame mental health issues. Exercise is really good for me. You know, like doing different things, you know, having different hobbies which are away from cricket. You know, like the journalism has been a, a sort of a blessing in disguise because it takes me away. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of a climate change campaigner. I, I obviously, you know, mental health as well. And then try and go into a bit more politics away from sports. So they're, they're like my little hobby topics, which takes me away, you know, from it and makes your mind really stimulated. It's part two of the Monty Panasar interview. I'm Charles Dagnall, and it's episode 39 of the How Did We Get Here podcast. So welcome along to the podcast. Myself, Charles Dagnall, Neil Patel, Neil Fillingham and Tony Morocco with you as ever. So as previously mentioned in the introduction, Monty Panasar was our guest in an interview that was recorded in July. He discussed about the direction his life had taken. Plenty more to come from Monty. So let's rejoin the interview and I pick up the questioning. I found three new mates via doing this podcast and and it's completely outside of what I my normal day-to-day life is and it's it's a real lift for me every time that we do a podcast that's just a a personal thing they may hate every hour they spend with me however for me it's it's lovely to get away from all that and challenge yourself in different areas or just to speak and have a beer it's almost like having a, a virtual beer with the three guys that that uh, that are on the podcast as well was there ever a time because it did come through my mind but was there ever a time of actually parking cricket completely actually saying yes i was this and that's what i did with my life and i got a big name from doing it i still have that name but can that be put in a different direction a completely different area of work was there ever a time that you thought that that you might go down a business route or down a a completely different path yeah, look, uh, I think for me, when I when I did the degree and, 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 and the course at, at St. Mary's, that really helped me to get my mind away from cricket and think about what's impartial journalism, what's journalism on the left, what's journalism on the far right, how how it all kind of, 
you know, comes together. It's really fascinating and interesting. And and some of the topics, how how people sort of have a have an agenda with their message, but how they kind of put it together. And it's fascinating to see. And then I started to look into um, like Marina Hyde. She writes for The Guardian and she's a massive mm. political writer. Now, I read a lot of her articles, but I never knew much about her until I got onto the course. And then I didn't realize she's like one of the top 10 or the top five journalists in the country. And she's a writer who everyone, you know, loves reading about her. I never knew anything about her. And and that suddenly um, I have an interest suddenly, you know, into politics. That's the whole fascination of yeah. how like a Daily Mail is a much more of a right newspaper. The Guardian is a left. And how on the same topics, how they kind of like write and the narrative of it is I find that really fascinating. And it takes me away from cricket. It helps me to develop my other journalistic skills. Then also looking at, you know, other sports. For example, you know, I, I try and have a secondary sport like boxing or football, athletics when there's big tournaments going on. So right now we've got the women's Euros 2022, 20, uh, which is happening. And already the ticket sales have surpassed the last one that happened in Netherlands. So you think that the women's sport is growing, you know, at such a great rate. But then it was really interesting to see that when they beat Norway 8-0, one of the presenters said, oh, but by the way, the whole team was actually, you know, English, white, you know, British. But you kind of ask yourself the question, when you're at elite level, you just want to pick your best players. They could be all from London, Cardiff, Newcastle. Mm. No one thinks about, oh, where are the players from the north or the south? Mm. It's like 8 nil. This is the best result ever in the men's or the women's team. It doesn't matter <laughs> what the group of players are. We pick our best players. So then I sort of think, oh, no, they've got it wrong there. At elite level, you pick your best players. These sort of conversations are at grassroots levels, you know, if there's not enough participation yes. from, you know, different backgrounds. So I find it fascinating how it's just the narrative of it and how sports can actually bring in great performances, but also different topics as well. Mm. Mm. With that in mind, and I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm being kind of controversial in this, there's obviously a lot of talk uh, in England about racism in cricket at the moment and accusations going around with various individuals. And I, I've had a couple of conversations with Daggers a while ago about it, but I'd love to hear your perspective on what it was like because, I mean, obviously I was a, a nothing cricketer. I was a pub cricketer at best, but I played all my life. My dad played. And I went through my school, university, club, no one ever said a word to me, without a doubt. No one said anything to me remotely racist or, or anything. So, you know, I, I'm astounded when I see some of this. So I'd love to hear, you know, your experience on it. Well, yeah, look, I agree with you. When I played for England, I had test caps. I had the fans loving the way I bowled and on the streets, <laughs> everyone, you know, enjoying my energy, my company. So I'll give you an example. I was doing a bit of reporting initially just when I finished, you know, the course for GB News about the Euros 2020 when England played at Wembley. You know, I'll go quickly there, do outside reporting. I had all these fans and they were all just like, you know, white English fans and, you know, proper football fans, as you say it. And they're all coming towards me and I'm thinking, geez, what's going, what's going to happen here? Like, do, I to <laughs> do I have to get the boxing gloves out? I've, I've done a bit of boxing. I've got to just get ready for it. Go on, once you get the right and the left foot in there, just quickly get in there, get ready for it. <laughs> double jab, double right, Tyson Fury, you know, then years that he does, I've been watching him right. I'm ready for it, okay? Get the cameraman out of the way. 
And next thing you know, they're <laughs> shouting out my name and they're loving it. And so for me, like that's my personal experience. But then maybe I'll I'll go to a let's say a, a, an event or whatever. People recognize who you are, so you're not going to you're going to feel welcome. You're not going to feel that difference. It's only when then you know I, I I kind of like I'm an ambassador for show racism red card that I went through some education stuff that they also partner up with MCC and they talked about different phrases like minimization. Uh, visible racism is like the color of, of your skin. Then there's invisible stuff like you know your education, your background. There's demographic. Like if you're from the north and the south, you know people trying to create a difference. Political parties. If you if you if you if you support the conservative and the Labour Party, people kind of see you in a different way or whatever. So there's one one thing like that when I talked on on there when I learned was like minimization. So I could be speaking to you know. Uh, a youngster could come up to me in a in a in a in a in a, in a dressing room environment and I said, "I want you. Can you help me with my bowling?" And I said, "Yeah, don't worry. I'll do it tomorrow." And then, you know, I have a like a young British Asian kid next day come up to me and say, "Oh, Monty, you know, do you want to help me with your bowling?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, let's do it right now." While the other kid is like English, you know, white kid, and he, then he looks at me and he think, "Why isn't Monty helping me?" Mm. And that's like a form of minimization, thinking, mm. "Oh, I'm favouring." Someone is because mm. the same color of my mm. skin, right. help them, but I won't help the mm. other person. Yeah. And when you go deeper into it, then you kind of realize, wow, that sort of stuff, you know, may exist, but because of the love of the game, and I just wanted to play for England. And when you know, when the coach says, "I want to," you know, you're a key figure in our team. You hold, you know, you you defend one end. Next, uh, in the second innings, you win us the game. You're very much part of it. You're not going to feel that difference. It's it's the ones who are excluded, who are not really you know part of the eleven, and and they only play a few games a year. They kind of think maybe I'm I'm the one who's not getting a fair treatment, and. And and a lot of people look up to me and they say, look, you know, Monty, you're a British Asian. You know, you, if you haven't faced racism, at least stand up for us who mm. are who are experiencing it. And I think through the course, I've learned so much about overt racism, covert, all of these different phrases. And you know, it's been a real interesting. You know, it's been a brilliant course for me to understand. Maybe there's people out there. I may not like. I've never been stopped in search. I never knew what I mean by stop in search. What do you mean by that? What does that mean? Police have never stopped in search me. <laughs> I never know. I don't know what it means. But they say they want to read about it. And I think, wow, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's people out there. Obviously, not maybe there is people out there who experience, mm. you know, have experienced life different to why I have, and uh, and you know, maybe some people people out there look up to me and think, you know, maybe he's that voice for us. You know, to 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 open maybe them doors and, and give and then people can listen to us as well. Uh, Monty, I had a question. I'm, I'm, you know, I heard you're fascinated about journalism and how you know different people approach that that industry. I'm fascinated by people that are successful in a certain craft and how they kind of get there, right? And we all like Daggers is an expert in what he does, and you know he's living it, but he's doing something different, like a Neil Neil and myself. We've taken something to something larger and it's how did you get there? Right. And a lot of people see people successful, but I'm curious of who introduced you to the sport. Did you have idols? And then what did you do differently to get to that elite level? Was it all talent? Was it a work ethic? Was it routine? You know, could you just speak on that? Yeah, look, for me, when I grew up uh, as a youngster, like um, I I was part of a club called Luton Indians and then we were called Luton Town and Indians. So we amalgamated with Luton Town Cricket Club and Luton Indians Cricket Club. So Luton Town Cricket Club was predominantly 
again, you know, a very English club, British English club, while Luton Indians was all the Asian people. They needed the members. We needed the facilities. So my journey, that's why when people say to me, Monty, you haven't faced it because we were already in a diverse cricket club. And that's why we were called Luton Town and Indians. And even now at Wardown Park, that's where we play. The facilities are like, you know, lords to us, where there used to be first class cricket there. And then, you know, we always had a mixed environment and it was all about just, you know, making the club strong. There was a, a strong sort of social side to the club. There used to be curry nights. There used to be sort of, you know, like bingo nights as well. So, that you know, it was about very much, you know, the cricket club was very much part of the centre of the town, apart from Luton Town Football Club as well. And we were lucky. We had great facilities and, you know, I got good, good opportunity. I wanted to be like a, a fast bowler, a left arm fast bowler, similar to like Wazzy Macram. But then I met Paul Taylor at the age of 15 and he goes, Monty, you're not getting any quicker. You've got long fingers, big shoulders. Why don't you try left arm spin? The next game I played for Bedfordshire under-15s against uh, Worcestershire under-15s at Royal Grammar School. And I took seven for 35 and I came back to training because Paul Taylor and Tony Pemberthy used to train us at Upper Sandy College, the under-15s. I said, oh, you know, I've taken seven for 35. You go stick to left arm spin and uh, you're better <laughs> off doing it. And in life, you get that one piece of advice and suddenly it changes you in a different direction. And, and that's what Paul Taylor did for me. So when people say, you know, who's your messiah in life? I'll say, well, Paul Taylor, he was my messiah of cricket. Without that information, I don't think I would have been a come, become a cricketer. So I always say thank you, Paul Taylor, for, for mm. you know, telling me to become a left arm spinner. Mm. I also think a card if you're quite a batsman as well, so you can't knock that out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, in fact, that's a good point you've just raised, Anil, because there's a myriad of matches that you can actually pick out. I don't want to go into specific and make it too crickety or, or anything, but there was a period that Ashes Test Match at Cardiff, and I'm sure you've been asked about this a million times, and we are no different. Yourself and James Anderson... Who and, and don't think I'm doing you down at all, but let's be honest, you were tail enders. Usually the roller came on before you came out to bat, you and Jim. <laughs> and you managed to stave off, what, how many overs? 17, 19 overs of... 69 balls, I think it was 69. 69 balls of Australian pace and fire and sledging, and they're trying to take one wicket, just get you or James Anderson out, and they win the first test match. And... No one's expecting you to do it. Everyone's expecting you to win. And then the hope starts rising after you survive and you survive a little bit more. And, you survive. and then the crowd are all getting into it. Hundreds, you know, millions are watching on TV to see if you can hold out for the draw. This sort of cemented your hero-like status. So first question on that, what was it like being in that cauldron? of Cardiff, of all 11 Australians basically trying to hammer you and, and getting getting you back up just to try and take your wicket. What what was that? that? Was that the most intense feeling you've had on a cricket field? I was very calm at the crease. I I, I was able to just think in my mind, because I, I think before then, I remember Andy Flower saying, how do we get the tail to bat longer or get more runs? Because we just kept on getting blown away. So he created a system called batting buddies. And my batting buddy was Paul Collinwood. So he would throw balls at me and then he'll coach me. So he said, with your back, keep your hands close to your body. Back lift really short against the quicker bowlers. If it's straight, you just protect the stumps nice and straight. If it's short, 
drop your hands down and I don't care where it hits you as long as it doesn't hit your gloves and your back. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so so that's it was very simple in my mind. I thought, oh, I, I come out the back, keep the back lift really short, and then if it's straight, protect the stumps. If it's short, just drop the hands down quickly. And that's all I did when the Aussies were bowling quick and hostile. And even at that time, Peter Siddle, he, he was quick. Mm. He's kind of lost mm. a couple mm-hmm. of yards in pace now. He was rapid. That's all I thought. And, and it was very easy in my mind. But it gave the confidence as well. I knew that I had the backing of Paul Collingwood, Andy Flower, who worked on my batting. And, and you kind of make it feel that you feel a little bit more um, valued that I think, look, these guys want me to bat longer. So I'm going to listen to their instructions. We worked hard in the nets. I've worked hard with Paul Collingwood. I'm not going to let my bat, batting buddy down. I'm going to listen to what he's told me. I'm going to just keep going with it and see how long I can bat. That's all it was. I, I never thought mm. we would draw the test match. But, you know, miracles can happen <laughs> in test cricket. <laughs> but how is it to cope with the people? I mean, there must be the Aussies. I mean, obviously, I live in Australia and I, I look at my kids under 14s and their sledging is unbelievable. I'm like, <laughs> it, it starts early. So I can only imagine how was it coping with that? I mean, how, how do you block that out or how do you cope with it? Yeah, look, I remember Peter Sudo bowling gas and, and, he, and he, you know, hit me. Like, I think he hit me or, or I just dropped whatever and I, and I felt a bit sh- you know, shaken by it. And he goes, what are you looking at, mate? I'm only bowling medium pace. So I'm going to soon start cranking it up. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, look, it's, I think yeah, I, I stayed, I think internally I was very calm. I was just, you know, all, everything just in my zone. And I don't know how I got there, but that was that moment when I was just in the zone. All of us were making up for your nerves, mate. We were all nervous as hell batting our nails watching yeah. it. <laughs> it was a, it was incredible piece of sporting theatre. And in so doing, of course, that sort of puts you up in public perception and makes you well-known. And you are well-known. And that is partly because of your feats, but also you're very recognisable. Is that a blessing can it be a curse? You know, you're walking down the street and everybody knows it's Monty Palliser. Do you benefit from that? Sometimes do you wish it would be, or how, how, how do you feel about that? Yeah, look, I, look, I think, yeah, there, 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 it is a blessing to, to, to some extent that I get recognized all the time because of my distinct features and even not playing cricket for, you know, lot for England. Mm-hmm. It's been nearly nine years now. It's going to be 10 years next year that mm-hmm. still get recognized a lot. I'm, I'm lucky that I'm able to, you know, do some TV programs. So, you know, that, that opportunity, you know, come, comes about as well. And it's because of the fans. They probably think, you know, the TV production companies may think, yeah, look, you'll be good for TV as well. Um, uh, you know, and, and I can develop that career because he's quite a popular figure. People, you know, like, you know, like you said, mm. he's relatable as a human. Mm. So people, you know, maybe like like to see him on TV as well. So that's an area I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, uh, develop and, and, and see, you know, where it takes me. But then, yeah, like you're right, it can be a curse as well, because if you've, um, you know, had a bad day or if you just want to relax with your mates and and, and people want photos and autographs and suddenly you snap at someone or you be rude, you don't say it's because because you're maybe tired or you've heard some maybe like, you know, stressing news or you're stressed about something. And then that's where you've got to like just sort of try and stay as calm as you can. Um, and sometimes I just go out cognito. I just wear a cap and glasses so people don't even recognise me. And just, you know, just, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Not being funny, Monty, is that much of an incognito look for you, wearing a cap and glasses, <laughs> considering how you normally look? 
<laughs> yeah, like you know, especially if I'm watching football, for example, you know, I love watching yeah. football, and I go to like maybe you know you got you just go to the lo- lo- local place where there's football going on, or or this you know nice sports bars. You know, I'm a big fan of football. Sometimes I want to watch football. Um, yeah, it can be. You know, you can sort of not focus on the sport, and and a lot of people you know recognize you, and in them sort of moments, yeah, I just wear glasses and a cap, and I just sit there and um, just enjoy enjoy watching. Watching maybe Arsenal, you know, beat Man United again or Luton, you know, doing really well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big football fan. I, I mentioned this slightly and, and not that I'm going to take any sort of dark areas, but look, you have had moments in your life where you have been at a low and things haven't gone your way, both on the field, off the field. Take us through a little bit about how you managed to come out of that. Because it was a low moment, we all know. Um, it was, you know, in the papers, it was on the internet, and, and, you know, obviously there's nowhere to hide when you are a recognisable figure. So what did you do to try and climb out from those low moments? Yeah, look, I remember taking, you know, medication, and then what medication did would, like, make my mind really quiet. But then I would lose my personality. I wouldn't be engaging in conversation. I wouldn't, you know, people around me would just think, oh, he's like, he's just quiet. And now the medication controls you, but it it just numbs the problem. You don't really face it head on. And that's why then I thought I want to take the holistic approach. Um, so exercise is really good for me. You know, like doing different things, you know, having different hobbies, which are away from cricket. You know, like the journalism has been a, a sort of a blessing in disguise because it takes me away. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of a climate change campaigner. I, I obviously, you know, mental health as well. And then try and go into a bit more politics away from sports. So they're, they're like my little hobby topics, which takes me away, you know, from it and makes your mind really stimulated. And, and I love listening to like different presenters, different radio people. Like I love listening to your voice. There's no presenter out there that has a voice like yours, Charles. You've got a distinct voice. <laughs> no, not and sure it's lovely to hear when you when you give a good analogy or a good little story, you know, on, on, on Sky Sports and, and everything. So, you know, th- that's only comes because I listen to so many different presenters and I think, oh yeah, that's Charles there, because it's unique voice. No one else has that. So that's a nice way of me sort of, you know getting my mind away from, you know, just being solely on, on, on cricket. But then also my, you know, my parents and my family, you know, they kind of helped me to reconnect with my faith. And faith was a, a lovely way to like um, share my problems. You know, you, you go to the Sikh temple, there's congregation, it gets rid of your loneliness. I can talk to people about my problems. And for them, it's like, oh, it's Monty, you know, it, it kind of grounds me. Okay, he's a famous guy, but he's connected to his faith and the Sikh community absolutely love it. You know, just seeing you at the Sikh temple, as well as, you know, you're helping the younger generation. They look 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 up to you and they think, oh, you can be successful in whatever career you want, but you also can be connected to your faith. And faith has helped me to sort of just process things much better. And uh, it's been, a, for me, it's really helped me. So that's one of the areas where then it kind of takes me away from reality and in my little zone, you know, just to process, you know, whatever's happening in my mind. For some people, it, it works. For others, it may not. But talking is really good, you know. If you have any problem or if you've got anything on your mind, please talk to people. Have them. That's why I talk about you know, having your five friends, you know. If you haven't, haven't, you know, spoken to one of them and if something's on your mind, give them a call. That's why I play, you know, cricket on a Saturday as well as a form of socialising, gathering. 
I love playing competitive cricket, the competition, but also you're with your mates. You know, you develop a, a new mm. form of mates. Um, they're at Twickenham Cricket Club. That's nice to do. PCA games are really good as well because it gets a chance to, you know, catch up with some of your mates and just talk about what's happening and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I love, you know, going watching test cricket live because it makes me feel at home. It makes me feel like, oh, wow, this is what I used to do mm. uh, for England. So I think it's really important, you know, to have a, such a different set of social circles you know i've got my gym buddies which helps me to you know to, to stay fit so it's really important and i've become a good cook as well since i went to a master chef <laughs> well i was do you know what that's interesting you say that because i was going to bring up master chef and one of the greatest things i think i've ever seen on television was you trying to make pureed corn I think it was, and uh, and it was it was. Uh, we're all shouting at the telly, going, "Monty, what are you doing? What are you doing now? What was that like as an experience going on MasterChef?" It was brilliant. It was like so much intensity in forty minutes. And the funny thing is, whenever you take the hot pan off the cooker, the cooker switches off. And then every time you do it, you're pouring something, you think, oh, you got it, it's, it's, it's getting hot again, but it doesn't. And you've got to restart it. And you're so much under pressure. And when you're under such intense pressure, you make some weird choices and decisions. I'm trying to cook an omelette without oil on it. <laughs> and the, the omelette is burning. And Greg Wallace comes up to me and goes, mate, do you know why it's burning? Because you haven't put any oil on the pan. And I completely forget under stress and under pressure. Um, so that's the, that's the great thing about going on that show. And then, yeah, it was good. And I became good friends. I remember becoming good friends with Gemma Collins on it because she was making the same mistakes as me. And we sat on the couch and I thought, this is hard work. And, and she kind of thought, yeah, it is. And she was really funny. She goes to me, Monty, this is not for me. I'm not used to being on that side of the kitchen. I'm used to sitting on the dining table and people bringing it. To- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fantastic. So- yeah, brilliant. But all these opportunities and obviously the new direction you're taking in your life, Mont, it looks as though you're in a really, really good place. And it's been just lovely listening to your stories and listening about uh, where you want your life to go and the work that you've put in to do that. Um, and it just remains to say from all of us, from Tony, myself and Neil and Neil, thank you so much for being part of our podcast. How Did We Get Here podcast with Anil Patel, Neil Fillingham and Tony Morocco was hosted by Charles Dagnall. This podcast is property of Virtual Manager, produced and edited by Daggers Media Limited.